When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, Tommy, you know what this week is or was by the time you listen to this? Well, it'll be Monterey Car Week, so we've got some really cool news, some retro brands making a return, and some pretty cool new cars that were just shown up. And we're also going to talk about, I think, something very interesting because we've been in the process of hunting for classic cars, the top five, maybe even more, types of classic cars you should never buy. All right, sounds good. And then we're also going to talk about what we've been driving this week because we have a big surprise, um, a car that you didn't think would be very good, but is actually surprisingly great. All right, well, let's get right to it. Roll the intro, Matt. Welcome to TFL Talk, the official podcast of TFL Studios, where we talk about the best and, yes, even sometimes the worst new cars. We talk about the coolest and sometimes the least uncool old cars. And, of course, we give you an insider's view of all things automotive. And hopefully we do it having fun and sometimes arguing. So if you're driving, keep driving. And if you're not, why not? Matt, of course, is our editor. Yes, that's right. He's been doing a great job on the podcasts. All right, let me do this. Uh, I'll sprinkle in the top five classic cars you should never buy, and then you talk about the Monterey cars that were unveiled. Uh, we'll kind of we'll kind of just uh, go through all those different vehicles uh, in this podcast. Uh, but before we do that, we should talk about a new series that we're doing and why we're going to be talking about the kind of cars you should never buy. Okay. So the new series is called From Stud to Dud, and you know we are buying, or we have bought actually now, three classic convertibles uh, from the 90s. I think classic is the wrong word. Eh, they're 30 years old. That's classic. I'm going to go with three relatively clapped out convertibles from the 90s. Well, it's part of our series for a few bucks less, so we had uh, a budget of $10,000 per car, and then we're going to do a video series around it, uh, making... Uh, Fun of the cars, fun of the people driving them, and hopefully figuring out which um, country built the best convertible in the 90s. Was it America, was it Germany, or was it Japan? Um, so um, I've been on Craigslist a lot looking for these cars, uh, and I've been listening to this uh, podcast from Britain called The Intercooler, and they did this series where they talked about the kind of classic cars that you should never buy. And they were very highbrow about it. So I'm going to kind of paraphrase what they said, steal what they said, uh, and have some fun with it. Okay. Uh, so the first car that you should never buy, and I saw one of these ironically and hysterically on Craigslist, is a car that has been owned by a celebrity. All right. Uh, unless that celebrity, of course, was into cars, uh, you know, like Paul Newman or, uh, you know, somebody who actually uh, was a car racer, James Dean, for instance. If a celebrity owned the car, it adds absolutely no value. So I listened to this podcast. They said this, and I was looking around, poking around Craigslist, and I saw this, get this, Lexus SC, right? Remember that car? Yeah. One of the ugliest convertibles ever. 
Yep. Would you say? Sure. And it was, guess how much it was? 10,000. 20,000. Okay. And why do you think it was 20,000? Uh, well, because it's an SC and SC owners are old and think their cars are worth a lot of money. No, because it was once upon a time owned by Tony Hawk. Well, he could be a car enthusiast. <laughs> I think that says more about Tony Hawk than it does about the car. I mean, um, we don't know. Tony Hawk could be a major car enthusiast. If he's buying an SC, he's probably not. Well, first of all, he's probably given an SC, let's be honest. It could be given, yeah. I mean, how do you know it was owned by Tony Hawk? You have to have proof well, of records. I, I don't know, but that's what the description says. It says this car was owned by Tony Hawk. And, of course, Tony Hawk, for all those you don't know, is you know one of the most uh, celebrated and iconic skateboarders uh, of, of all time. He was... Uh, uh, very well known, uh, both uh, for his antics and for, I think he was at Olympics, now he's an Olympic commentator because skateboarding has become an Olympic sport. But anyway, this was a hideous SC, Tony, sorry dude, it was beige. Sure. Uh, with a beige leather. I mean, so what is 120,000 miles. What is it about a celebrity-owned car that you don't like? No, I don't, I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying it doesn't add any value. People think just because some celebrity has owned it that somebody will want to be like celebrity adjacent, right, by owning a car that they once owned. But just because Tony Hawk's name at some point was on the title doesn't make the car worth any more than a, you know another SC with 120,000 miles on it. Don't you think it will, though? Because no. it's kind of a cool store. And I bet there's Tony Hawk enthusiasts who collect Tony Hawk memorabilia, and they would probably pay more for the Tony Hawk SC. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think people, because look, as far as I know, Tony Hawk, unless something cool happened in that car, like, you know, he, he got it as a present for winning something, then maybe there's some, like, milestone moment that you could celebrate. But as far as I know, Tony Hawk has owned 500 cars. You know, I don't know how many of the guys owned, but just because he owned an SC and drove around it, it doesn't make it any more valuable than an SC that you owned or that I've owned. I'm not so sure. Well, I mean, I'm it, not it, convinced about it that has one. not sold off of Craigslist. Well, it's a lot of money for an SC430. Don't you think there's even like a slight premium though for a celebrity-owned no, car? No, unless that celebrity somehow was like you know into cars, and then it, it kind of you know coincides with the car culture, right? Or unless something special was done in that car or celebrated a special occasion. Just like for instance, uh, um, Cayenne West just sold a bunch of his cars. This is maybe a year ago from, Sorry, from his Cayenne West. Who? Cayenne. What's his name? <laughs> Kanye. Kanye. Sorry, Kanye. Kanye. Cayenne West. Kanye. Kanye. Kanye just sold a bunch of his, uh, I think they were... Um, I bet those went for a lot of money. I no, bet they were, no, they were Suburbans, I think, from his ranch in Wyoming, Montana. I bet Kanye cars are more valuable no, than standard Suburbans. Like, what they, they were they like black for? Suburbans. I don't know. But I bet they sold for a lot. I think Kanye's Suburbans are the same as... Uh, as any other suburban. I bet people would pay extra for Cayenne Suburbans. Um, <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe they were... Not Cayenne West. Cayenne West. Maybe he was a totally different guy. Maybe no, that. Yeah, maybe he's just some random guy yeah. named Cayenne. Um, I, I actually think, especially with certain celebrities, even if they're non-car enthusiasts, like I bet Elvis's Cadillac is worth a lot of money. Yeah, so I saw Elvis's Cadillac. Yeah. Uh, what made it unique was it was in the museum. Yep. Uh, and it had a record player. Yeah, I bet that's in worth, the back seat. I bet that car is worth a lot of money. I'm not sure it's worth a lot of money. I think to like a museum, it's probably worth more money because. But that's a whole different, like I say, a whole different ball of wax, right? Oh, uh, it's a celebrity-owned car. An, El an Elvis-owned Cadillac, where he was known to like, you know, ride around it and feature it in his movies. Then there is a there's a much more tangible collection than just some car that Tony Hawk had in his garage. Another one. Right. Ted Bundy's Volkswagen. 
uh, worth a lot of money. 68 Volkswagen Bug. Uh, worth a lot of money. No, that was that was that went up right recently, and it was people actually didn't want it. There was some big controversy around. But it. I think it sold for a lot of money. I'm willing to bet it went to a museum. But I think someone had paid a lot of money for it. Same thing with Adolf's Mercedes 570K. Yeah, that's a whole different thing. But that, my point is, there are certain don't, don't even go down that road. Certain celebrity-owned cars. I, I said, unless it's something very special where you can connect. You know, I mean, with, with Mr. Hitler, he you know he tried to rule the world from the backseat of that car. Here's a good example: Ludicrous. Had an Acura legend that Acura just fully restored. Yeah. I bet that car is worth a lot of money. I don't know. I bet it's worth a I lot of money. I, I, I'm just saying the typical old $120,000 car that was owned by some celebrity is not worth any more than what a 120,000 mile car would normally be worth. Hmm. I agree hmm. with that. Should I do another one? Um, no. So we're going to move on to some news. <laughs> what, this, this is the top five. Yes, but why we are have... You so, why are you so mean? No, no, no because, no, because we it. have some news we have to talk uh, about. Then, then, then be kind about it. Be like, Don't be like, no, this is stupid, Dad. I don't want to <laughs> no, talk about gonna it. No, we're going to talk about it, but we have some news You're we need to discuss You're going to get a lot of hate first. in the comments. That is fine. I appreciate your uh, input. I think it's a fun topic, but we need to talk about some news. People right. are going to get bored. Um, so we have Monterey Car Week going on, and we've got some cool stuff which has been revealed. Yeah. Look like, for example, if you're watching on YouTube, this was revealed at Monterey Car Week. It's the DeLorean Alpha 5. We've been doing this for 12 years. Yep. And the, the, the Monterey Car stuff never, like, moves a needle. It's such a small and uh, unique audience for that content because those cars, because most of us can't afford stuff like this. Anyway, go ahead. This is the new DeLorean. Yeah, so DeLorean is back. Um, it's uh, it's an all-electric car this time. It's uh, supposed to have a 100-plus kilowatt-hour battery with a range of 300-plus miles, and they're claiming a 0 to 60 time of like 3 seconds, and I think I was reading a 0 to 88 time of about 4.35, which I think is amazing. Of course, 88 miles an hour is the original speed, which in the movies, the DeLorean Back to the Future, it's got futuristic styling. Um, I'm not so sure I love it, though. Do you like the style? Of this? I'm kind of done with DeLorean, to be honest. I, I think that brand and that story has been so overplayed, has had so much time in the sun. I'm kind of I'm kind of done with both the car company and the story. I get the fact that, you know, there was this interesting story behind the guy who started the company. I get the fact that, you know, it was made famous by being in the back of the future, but it's something that everybody knows has become like a cultural cliche, and I find it boring. And I, I, once again, you know, the DeLorean company has been around, the, the parts were bought, you know, uh, the cars themselves have one claim to fame and that is they were in the movie, two, they were in the movie and they were interestingly styled, but from a car, just an automotive point of view, they were absolutely horrible, you know, they were not fun to drive, uh, they were pokey, slow, hot, hard to get in and out of the door, would break and, you know, bonk you on the head so as, as a car it's not particularly grand uh, and, and it, you know until this thing is actually built and sold I'm gonna be very journalistically uh, skeptical and, and say you know build it and then I'll comment on it and now I agree with you completely the cars are pretty crap and they're overhyped but I recently have really got into them I think that they are a beautiful piece of design the original ones I love the stainless steel I love the story behind them so I'm actually kind of buying into the hype recently I hate to say it but I really love the original DeLoreans now and I'd love to actually drive one one day because I just think they look so cool it's like the 80s the, the, summed the up the original in a, you want to drive or this new no, one no I don't care about the new one the original was summed up uh, 80s summed up in a car and I just really think it's the coolest thing so um now the new one, I don't think it's going to be built in Ireland. I don't think we even know where it's going to be built. And you're right, it may or may not end up in actual production. But I still think it's a cool little 
trivia piece here that the DeLorean is supposedly making a comeback, this time as the Alpha 5. Although they revealed it in Monterey in red, which is the wrong color. They should have done it in silver like the one we see here. You know, the DeLorean to me is like the hamburger of classic cars, right? It's, it's, it's like the first thing that anybody who gets into classic cars is interested in because it's so approachable and it's so iconic. Uh, but also, because it's the hamburger of classic cars, it makes it a little boring. So, um, other cool thing, other th before we keep continue with your list of cars owned by celebrities. Um, no, not that was just that was the, <laughs> that was the one kind of car you shouldn't buy. There's more types of cars you should never buy. They also revealed a new Myers Manx. <sighs> the Myers Makes 2.0. Yes, I know. I've, I've read a lot about it. The iconic Myers Makes mug buggy is back. This time, of course, it's fully electric. It's got a 40, up to a 40 kilowatt hour battery. They're claiming a, up to 300 miles of range. It's really cool, right? The little dune buggy is making a return. No, I'm, I'm once again, I'm going to be a cynical journalist. So maybe I was thinking about this. I, I have z less than zero interest in the Myers in the new Manx, uh, and I'll tell you why, okay? Because it's one of those California things, and if you were a kid like me who grew up in the suburban land of Chicago, those cars had absolutely no connection to where I grew up, right? It was something that apparently people on the beach would drive uh, with their surfboard, uh, and you know, it, it represented this like idealized California dream, uh, and um, you know, people are longing to go back to those simpler times. Uh, and the car to me just doesn't doesn't say anything to me. And whether it's electric or not, um, I'm not that interested. And actually, I'd be more interested in the original ones because they were powered by Beetle engines, and I, I think that's kind of cooler in some ways. Making it electric is not that hard. I think it's fantastic. I'm really excited by it. I think it looks great. It's got. Uh, okay, let me ask you this. Yes. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. We were in Solvang not that long ago. Yes. What was running around Solvang? These horrible mokes. Right, which is basically a, a, the British version or the Australian version of the same car that you would love right now. So what um, Moke did, so there was a car originally which was based on the Mini platform, the original Mini, which was a roofless, doorless, basically dune buggy called the, 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 uh, the Moke. And then um, a company called Moke America redid the original Moke sort of as this low-speed neighborhood car. But they were Chinese, weren't they? Or at some point the Chinese Right, I think I, they may be made in China. I don't really know what the story is, but they're these horrible clones of the original, and I just hate them. They're too big, the proportions are wrong, they only go 30 miles an hour. I don't think that this is going to be that. I'm hoping that this Myers is actually a real car you can drive on the street. And I think it looks way better than the Moke. It still has the original proportions, which looks fantastic. So I wanna, like the range. I'm really excited by it. I want to say the designer of the designer, one of the partners in that company uh, is the designer, I think, of the original TT, if I remember reading the news right. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. one of the partners in the company, or the president of the company, has, has been you know, instrumental in designing a lot of really cool cars. So that gives me hope. But then Heinrich Fisker also you know, has tried to start car companies and has not uh, been successful, at least not to date. Okay. So what is the next car you should never buy? Well, we bought it. <laughs> and um, uh, the guys at the intercoolers called this car a punt. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically, it's any car uh, that uh, is very expensive, like any like a 750 IL, right, where it's a 12-cylinder that you've always wanted, right, and they're dirt cheap. And the reason that they're dirt cheap is because if they go wrong, and we can talk about how ours has now gone very wrong, they can be easily more expensive to repair uh, than the value of the car, right? So sure. there are these overly complicated, usually really cool German cars that are now depreciated 
to such an extent that uh, they're worth less than the repairs to keep them running. And they said, and this is true, they said, if you want to go for that kind of a car, consider it a punt. In other words, in the British way of talking about that is just, you know, um, you're buying it, but you know that you're never going to, like, make money on it. You're never going to fix it. You're just going to drive it until either the thing, you know, falls apart or the wheels fall off. Uh, and by punt, they mean, like, you've taken the money and basically thrown it out the window. And if the thing lasts 2,000 miles, great. And if it lasts, you know, 50,000 miles, you've won. Uh, but more likely than not, you know, you know that that money is, is gone and gone forever. Sure, I think it's an interesting point. Um, the other way I look at this actually is if I'm looking at a heavily depreciated luxury car, uh, the other way you could look at it is just figure, it's, don't don't view it as a $7,000 S-Class, view it as I'm gonna spend $20,000 on this S-Class over the next couple of years. So if you have the budget for it and you do want a nice one, buy the best one you can afford and then expect to pay double that over the next couple of or years. Or more. Yeah, so I think that it's, um, I'm not sure it's a car you should never buy. I think I do like the perspective that if you have the money, you just want to drive something until it breaks really badly. There, I was just at a dealer-only auction today, and there's a lot of these cars that go through the dealer-only auction where you have like, um, like an A8, right? That's clearly, uh, it's got a lot of maintenance problems with it. It's been um, heavily abused over the years, but it still runs pretty well and it still drives pretty well. Or an S-Class, right, where it's got uh, engine malfunction warnings and uh, bulb malfunctions and air suspension malfunctions, and maybe you buy it for a couple grand and you run it till it won't move anymore. So I do think that it could be potentially fun if you have the money. It's a terrible advice if you're looking to get a great luxury car for um, a Gee. tenth of the original yeah. MSRP. Yeah, but there's a, there's a part of you that always is like gambling, right? So it's like gambling. You're like, I'm going to roll the dice, and I'm going to buy this, which we did, and we lost. So what we did was we bought a 90s Mercedes-Benz SL. Yeah, but you paid way too much for it, for a punt. So you spent nine grand on a car that's probably worth, in good condition, 15. A punt would have been buying one for like three grand that had a lot of problems that you knew about. Now, I think anything under 10,000 is, is, I mean, it's a lot of money, but still it's like, it's like it's it, you know, for, for many people, especially classic car people, spending less than 10K on, on a classic car is not a lot of money. I think, I, I think from your point of view, maybe less than three is a lot, but from my point of view, 10,000 isn't Yeah, that I think much. 5K is a good good place to punt. I wouldn't punt from 10k. So if that was like a $5,000 car, I would have been all over it, right? Where you're like, ah. But at 9 grand, you're well, kind you, of expecting it to be good. You did that with an SL. You bought yeah, an SL. Yeah, I did, and I lost that punt. Yeah, I spent 3500 on an SL, and it was a total failure, and I lost it. Um, but we're going to lose this one even worse, because the thing about that SL is I paid 3500 and I sold it for 3300 This one we paid nine grand for, and what we just learned is that the top hydraulics are leaking, and a Convertible top on that car, a fix can be eight to nine thousand dollars. If 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 so, I talk. So we took it to our mechanic Toby because the other thing that doesn't work on it, which is also pretty bad, are the electric seats. Right. So you can't adjust them, and that you're not going to sell a car. Well, we bought a car for nine k without adjustable seats, but it'd be hard to sell. But you know, our business model is different. So keep this in mind, guys. We're buying these for for a video series, right? And in some ways, like stuffing Andre into this car, which is the one he's going to drive. It's pretty funny when the seats don't move, right? You or I or Nathan in the video series can make pretty good fun of him. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's kind of done for comedic effect, and we're not buying it because we want a car that we're going to keep for the next five years or even the next five months, right? We're going to keep this car, we're going to film the video series, and then we're going to sell it on probably over at TFL Bids. And if you want to watch that series, uh, it's at alltfl.com. Uh, you can see me buying that car because the owner actually, it's a funny story, the owner didn't know that it had a soft top. He went to his mechanic and he said the car didn't have a soft top. Uh, so it did. So uh, anyway, I took it to Toby this week, who's our German car mechanic. Uh, left it there, and we bought another car, 
the American car in the series. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you what that. Actually, you'll, you, you, by now, by the time this airs, we would have aired that video. So it was a Mustang GT, right? A yep. 97 Mustang GT. And uh, when we bought it, nothing wrong with it. Drove it home, and it had a horrible smell of gas. Mm. And that really scared me because when you start smelling gas, then you're talking about burning a car down, right? Right, right. So I brought it to Toby's, and I said, Toby, instead of working on the uh, SL, can you work on this? so it doesn't burn to the ground and he said yeah that's a smart move uh, and then when we went to pick up uh, the mercedes and bring it back what did you notice you, f you noticed it um yeah so there were little drops of puddles not drops or big puddles little 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 puddles around like where the b pillar would typically be in like, front of the rear wheels yep and then um which makes sense to what's where the the hydraulics are but seriously the car wizard actually did a good video about this apparently um and I, apparently he said that those tops can be up to ten thousand dollars to fix when they go wrong because there are 10 or 11 hydraulic cylinders that actuate the top up and down yeah and the issue with ours and this is where you're going to say it's probably fine we can still use it but it's probably sat for so long where the little seals and the hydraulics are leaking but that could be a big problem because if the seals fail altogether you could lose hydraulic pressure altogether and then the top's not going anywhere you basically have a convertible or a or a, or a top that's stuck well, in the up position. Well, it does have a hard top. Yeah, so you could put the if, but you have a coupe. Now or you I'm have a worried that if so, the top is up right now, the soft top. If we put it down, is it going to get stuck halfway? Is I'm, it going to lose all hydraulic pressure and then not move? I don't know. We got to put it down for the, when we start filming next week. Yeah. And then you know what we can do is if we need a top, we'll put the hard top back on. Right, but it's going to really be hard to sell that car now because the one thing that can't fail on those cars for resale is the convertible top, which just failed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like I said, we rolled the dice and we lost. Yeah, but I'm more, I'd be more comfortable rolling the dice at five grand, right, than at nine grand. Yeah, but five grand for a '90s SL is a little. It's doable. There's are out there for six listed. At so. that point, you're buying a pretty bad one, I think. At that point, you're already buying the one with all the problems. But you should probably, if you're going to take a punt. Take a punt on one with problems that you know versus one that you think is clean that doesn't. Well, have when problems. we bought it, we didn't know. We the top worked, nothing leaked out of it. Yeah, but that was my fault. I should have been like, something's wrong here. I mean, this this thing has this guy didn't even know it has a convertible top. It's probably been folded up for 15 years. You're probably maybe it never yeah, came out. So never maybe the resiners never buy a convertible that hasn't been used in 15 years. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, that uh, that is a story of uh, the SL. We to, need we to, need to start production on that series next week. So we just need it to go down one more time. I have a rule of thumb. Actually, I've learned a really important rule: never buy a classic car with a power convertible top. Just don't do it, because the Convertible tops are always fragile. They're always expensive when they break, and power tops are always the first thing to fail. Um, I, I personally, after this experience, I will never buy another used convertible with a power top at all. I think it's a terrible idea. So, I, so you're saying Miata's the answer? Yeah, Miata. Um, <laughs> without, any, without the RF, not the hard top. No, anything with top. a manual top, yeah, I think is okay. I personally, soft tops in general, I'm pretty done with them. Like, I don't think I'll ever buy another used convertible because soft tops, even if they are manual and they break or the material's bad, like we had this sob, the rear yeah. window fell out of it. Yeah. We're like, oh, we'll just stitch a new window and it'll be a couple hundred bucks. It was like $1,600 to get a new rear window panel replacement in. They're just too expensive. And they're more fun than the coupes in a lot of cases, but if you're getting a classic car, I'm going to stick to coupes from now on out. Yeah, well, that's what, like, you know, we, we unfortunately we now have a garage full of convertibles. <laughs> <laughs> right, and they, all three of them, uh, two of them have convertible top problems. Well, you want to announce what the third one that we got? So we have a 300ZX, which has a manual top, yeah. but the stupid tonneau cover has an electronic solenoid, yeah, that, and the solenoid's failing. failing. So like you can, you can close the top, but you can't get the little 
cover for the top to pop open sometimes. So even though it's got a manual top, I know it's the third car that we just bought that I had to take to Toby because it stank of gas. Well, you, you talked about earlier the That's Mustang. Mustang yeah, GT. You talked about it, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, apparently Toby said that it's a, a canister, an evaporate, evaporator canister issue. Yeah, it's going to be expensive. Which is, I was hoping it was like just a bad fuel line, but or maybe a bad fuel pickup from the gas tank or something easy, but of course it couldn't be. So I've got my list here. Let's talk about some other cool stuff that was just revealed, okay. including the Porsche 911 Sally Special. This is really cool. Okay, what's the Sally so Special? So Porsche worked with Pixar on a one-of-one one 911 um, that's modeled after Sally Carrera from the Cars movie. So it's a blue 911. Sally was a 996. This, of course, is a brand-new 992. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's just so cool. It's the same color as Sally. It's got the same kind of turbo twist retro wheels. It's got Cars logos on the inside. This could be auctioned off for charity. And I think it's really a fantastic thing. It looks great. Okay, not my thing, but once again, so so far none of these none of these I would be like wow uh, a cars cartoon Porsche 911. Woo! Well, how about this? There's how about also the Porsche 911 GT3 RS. Yeah, that's another one that was um, revealed very recently. So that one I, I saw actually in Colorado. Remember, there's a video where I was up there in the mountains and they were high altitude testing. I got near it and I got to see it driving around. That one is pretty badass, dude. Pretty, pretty badass. It's no Sally special, but it's okay. <laughs> okay. So other news that just came out, we have a new M4 called the M4 CSL, 543 horsepower, 3.6 seconds from 0 to 60, the most powerful M4 yet, and it benefits from the CSL name. And if you're into old M cars, CSL is a very cool thing. It's typically the lightest, the fastest, the, the most track-focused version of the M cars. So that should get you pretty excited. Yeah, yeah. Oh, grumpy today. No, I'm not grumpy. It's just, once again, those, unless you're really into BMWs, unless you're really into the M brand, unless you're really into the Ultimate M brand, uh, you know, those cars are really, um, uh, really specialized, right? Uh, and so you have to be almost like, almost like uh, be, uh, seen through glass, right? Those guys or, or the other podcast, uh, uh, Spike Ferriston, right? When you're that deep into the Porsche world, or when you're that deep into BMW world, or when you're that deep into Ferrari world, then all those really specialty cars uh, have much meaning and become uh, really cool. Uh, but when you're, you know, kind of covering the automotive world in general the way we do, uh, it becomes a, a little esoteric. All right. Yeah. So let's talk about something cool that you did this weekend. Speaking of plastic cars, we should, we should do this. We went to our friends uh, Franny and Heidi's, and you got to do something really cool. Yeah, it was really cool. So they they run a YouTube channel, Franny Heidi's Garage. Great, great gals. They 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 fix up cars, and I got to drive um, their old Porsche 356, which was this. Um, I'm jealous. Yeah, well, you could they offered to let you drive it, but you didn't want to. I was terrified. It's, yeah. it's like a quarter million dollar car. But it was an amazing experience. Uh, so what's it like to drive? It's like driving a little Miata. It's like so, driving a Miata from the 1950s. So, so this is, for all of you guys who don't know what this is, this is like a bathtub Porsche, right? Well, that's what you call them. You <laughs> well, think they look like people, upside down bathtubs. It's, it's unfair, but that's, it'll immediately put you in the mind of what the thing looks like. Uh, and this one is completely original. It's not the 4Cam, uh, which is the, the very desirable one, but nevertheless, these cars are very desirable. Uh, they were... I guess there were three different companies that bodied them, right? So Porsche would build them, and then they had three different coach builders that put them. And this one was, what was the, who was this one done by? I don't remember. Was it like uh, Rutt? Riders or something. Uh, but anyways, the car was really cool. It's powered by a flat four, 1600cc engine. It was fun to drive. It was quick. It handled really well. And I was really fortunate to get to drive it. So big thank you to Franny for making that happen. Well, come on. You could be more than that. 
You, so you have a you have a convertible Beetle. So these were basically people would think to themselves since they have the same size engine that it's just like a convertible Beetle. Is it or how is it different? Uh, no, I, the Porsche is a lot stiffer. Is a lot quicker. It's got much higher compression engine. It's got um, a different heads on it, so it felt quicker than the convertible Beetle. This this was a '50s car too, where my convertible Beetle is a '70s. But even in the '50s, it drove better than my Bug. Uh, all sounds original. so different. Yep, sounds different. Yeah, it was a great car. So I was really fortunate to get to drive to, uh, drive it. So. So the car uh, is beautiful because it's got this kind of classic cream interior, I mean exterior, so it's cream colored. And normally cream, you'd be like, eh, it's kind of boring, but with this car, it really works. I feel I, like you're trying to channel your inner Seinfeld right now. No, I'm not. I just thought it was beautiful. <laughs> uh, and then, like, like it, it was really, so I, the closest I ever got to driving them, I drove a Speedster version of that that was a Beetle-bodied replica yeah, on right. the ice. And that was just like driving a Beetle, uh, whereas this had this incredibly dark, rich red burgundy interior uh, that really popped and then all the controls were just like jewel-like uh, and it was cool to see like a car that was completely original from the 50s that was one of the cars that many Porsche files consider the kind of the fountainhead of, of the modern 911. So what are some other cars you should never buy? Uh, here's another one, so we'll keep going down that list, uh, but we're not done with Brandy. We got, we got more, because I, okay. I got more there. Another car you should never buy is a car with low miles. So they own, like, like, you know, like hundreds of miles, classic cars with hundreds of miles. So these guys said that if you're the kind of person that likes to walk into your garage after a hard day's work with like a martini or a whiskey, uh, and then, you know, Pull the cover off of this car, whatever car it is, a Corvette, a classic Porsche that has, you know, 500 miles on it, and just admire it, then go ahead and buy that car. But if you buy a car with very low miles, uh, then every time you go out and drive it, you're going to be a miserably stressed mess because you know you're taking value out of it. So every mile you put on it is like $1,000, especially if it's a very valuable car that you're taking out of it. And they said, as a, as a true automotive enthusiast, not somebody who just admires them for their looks or for their design, but somebody who actually likes the fact that they're all so functional. It's just a waste of money. Now, I completely agree, 1,000%. Cars like with delivery miles, like 50 miles, no interest in them, would never buy them because that, you're right, it's like a buying investment. Cars with a few hundred miles, would never buy them, but I'm even going to take it further. I would say cars with a few thousand miles, if they're old enough, wouldn't touch them. Cars with 10, 15,000 miles, if they're old enough, wouldn't touch them. Like you were looking this week at a 90s Corvette with like 10,000 miles. I would never, never touch that car. Why? Because that means that car has not been driven. It's been sitting for a long time in all the little rubber joints. All those little rubber joints going to the fuel injectors and the fuel lines and all of those are going to be old and dry rotted and cracked from just sitting and sitting and sitting and sitting and sitting. Yeah, people, I think people forget that uh, because a car is old and has no miles on it, doesn't mean uh, that the car hasn't aged, right? Yes. The stuff still ages. But you thought that was a good thing that had low miles like that. And I am not convinced. In fact, you came to me and said there's a ridiculous car on Craigslist right now, uh, Mercedes Pagoda, which is an SL from the 60s, with 205,000 miles, and you thought that was ridiculous. I would rather have a 205,000-mile so, Pagoda than a 10,000-mile Pagoda because I know that that car has been cared for to make it to 200,000 miles and has been driven regularly. Yeah, so the reason I thought that was ridiculous was because the price was $50,000. I think you can get a 50,000-mile Pagoda right now for $50,000. You don't have to get a 205 Five thousand mile pagoda for for fifty thousand dollars. I think it, the, the price seemed way off. You're, to me. I, I don't know. I, I think you're probably being a little optimistic on what a fifty thousand mile pagoda is uh, going right, for. Right, let me ask you this then. Yeah. All right. Here's your choice. You mm -hmm. could buy a fifty thousand mile, which has been driven and yep. loved, pagoda for seventy thousand, or 
a 205,000 mile pagoda for 50,000. You know, you're, you're getting a discount because it's got over 200,000 miles. So do you buy the 50,000 for 70K or the 205,000 for 50K? I think the prices are going to be more like 90 or 100 for the 50,000 mile one. I don't think they're that high yet. I think pagodas are getting pretty expensive, especially if it's documented miles. Um, no, I would honestly, if, if I could get that guy down to 40 with that 205,000 mile pagoda, I'd get that all day long. I really would because I do think that that means that car has been driven. It's probably been cared for to get it to 200,000 miles to begin with. A lot of bits have probably been replaced. So that's the one I would and go that's, for. That's another problem. You don't know if they've been replaced with like genuine Mercedes parts because a lot of bits probably wore out. So it really depends on who did the work and how they were replaced. And all of a sudden, you know, it could have been it could have been uh, Hans from the local expert Mercedes uh, restoration shop, or it could have been Fred from Advanced Auto, right? Uh, and you don't know which of those two guys worked on it. A classic example of this is so there's a the the first water cooled Porsche. They're called the 996s, and they're mm -hmm. great cars, and they're getting really valuable now. Um, and they had this issue, which has been vastly blown out of proportion, called the IMS issue, which was this bearing on the intermediate shaft, kind of deep in the bowels of the car. And if that fails, it'll take out your engine. Um, and it was a known kind of a known problem, but it was a very small percentage of them that had this failure, and then it was widely publicized, right? But if you do see an IMS failure nowadays, it's on like a 20-year-old 911 that has 20,000 miles or 25,000 miles. If an IMS bearing makes it to 110, 120, like it's going to make it another 200,000 miles typically. So on a car like that, especially especially German cars, they just need to be driven. So whenever I see these old like 25-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old German cars with 10,000 miles or 20,000 miles, I have no interest in that. I'd rather have one that has 100,000 miles or 150,000 miles. Fair enough. All right, um, let me talk about um, something else I learned at Franny and Heidi's. So uh, they were, uh, they, let, they let me drive, uh, we have an 87 911, um, and they have an 86 911. Uh, and the difference between, and they're both convertibles, and the difference between the two cars is uh, the G50 transmission. So everybody wants the 87, because that's when they went to the G50, versus the earlier models. And so I got to see the difference between an 86 and an 87, and so did you. So what was your take on it? What, you know, between ours and, and the 86 and the 87, which transmission did you like better? Well, the important thing here, and this is a really good example, so that her car has had higher mileage than ours. I think hers was like 115,000 miles. Ours is like 95,000 miles. Um, her car was way better. Oh, yeah. Um, way better. Oh, yeah. She put a ton of work into the, uh, the, yeah. the suspension and the engine and the transmission and, and, the, and the brakes and the transmission was rebuilt, and I would take her car I didn't ask about the car. I asked you about the transmission. Yeah, ours is a little better, but um, I would say ours is a lot better. Yeah, but the, sorry, Heidi. The rest, the rest of the cars run in the transmission is so much better on her white car. I would go for her car all day long. I didn't ask you about the, the car. I asked you about the transmission. Yeah, but the other You're advantage. You're just being very political. The other advantage. Sorry, Franny. I'm just going to be honest, okay? And, and I love these guys to death, but the difference between the transmissions to me was like night and day, right? The uh, First of all, uh, the, the 86 transmission, and I've heard from people that if you know how to drive that transmission, it can be rewarding to drive. But from somebody who's, you know, an everyday driver, which I consider myself to be. First of all, it doesn't center automatically, so it's yeah. It's but neither does a Volkswagen. It's kind of floppy. Yeah. Uh, and then the the throws aren't very precise. Sure, it's a little notchy. It's notchy and kind of weird, and you can, you cannot fast shift that. Whereas the '87 feels much more solid, much more confidence inspiring. I'm not I'm not saying you can fast shift that either, but it's like click click. You can actually feel the gears. Whereas the '86, you're like, I think I'm in first. I think I'm in second. It's just it's just notchy and sloppy and weird.
Sorry. You've been listening too much of Spike's podcast here. No, We've gone way too in the weeds about old Porsches here. I think the typical TFL viewer is not going to care, Dad. And the other thing I I learned, uh, for the longest time, I didn't know what our car was called, right? So before our car, there was a 911 SC. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then after, and then during our car's generation, there was a 930 Turbo, right? That's the one that everybody knows with the whale tail, Yeah, during our car, yeah. So you know what our car was officially called? It had no numeral designation, but you know what it was? What? It was the 911 Carrera. That was the official name of it. No, it was a 3.2 Carrera. Well, oh, come on. Now, yeah. you're just, now, you're, now, you're just, now you're just splitting hairs. I'm now, saying that was where the Carrera came from. Look, now. actually, the, the, Carrera. what I learned from Franny is that what you call our era of car is a G-body. So from all the way from 74 through 89, that's like what, what people 911 call. Carrera is what they were called when, but, they were at, when they were at the dealership. You didn't go to the dealership and you didn't say, hey, Mr. Salesman, I want a G-body car. I don't know what that is. I'm sure that's the internal de- designation, but they were called 911 Carreras. Technically, ours is called a 3-2 Carrera. In the community, like Franny called ours a 3-2 Carrera, which is what hers is too. It came after the SC. Um, now the transmission thing, it kind of goes back and forth. I think you're right, ours is more precise with transmission. But it's an old 911. They both, compared to a new car, shift like Mack trucks. Um, the throws are super long, and both of them have to be shifted slowly. So the good news about her transmission is it's like a three grand rebuild, two grand, where ours is like five to seven grand to rebuild. So um, this for the nine people out there that really care about the transmission well, differences hold, between an 86 hold, and an 87 hold on. 911. We, we should be, first of all, we should be in the weeds. I said this was going to be a classic car show. So. I'm sorry if you guys aren't into classic cars, you know, then maybe there are other podcasts that are much more... But this more... is like a very specific type of no, classic it's, car. It's <laughs> the, whenever you get into classic cars, you're going to have to get in the weeds because that's what classic cars are, right? Right? It's, 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 like, it's like people who have this love and passion for these very specific cars. And so to have credibility and to talk about them, then you have to get into the weeds. Otherwise, what's the point? Well, I think you can talk about classic cars from a high level, you know? I think like first-gen Mustangs, you don't have to get into the specifics about K-codes and the, the different straight sixes they were offering, but you can talk about why the first-gen Mustangs were super cool. You can talk about why DeLorean was super cool. You don't have to get into like the, the, the PSA engine that was... I, I think it's boring. Everybody knows why the DeLorean was super cool, because it was feature, like I said, in back to... Exactly. So yeah, talk about that. Well, well, That's no, cool. I, I'm, not, I'm not breaking any new ground there. Hey, guys, let me know in the comments below if you think this is too weedy or not. I think... Please, getting, I'd, I'd love to know your opinion, because I want to make this podcast better so that you guys enjoy listening getting to it. into the intricacies of 915 versus g50 transmissions and 86 versus 87 911s is a little bit too in the weeds i don't think so i, I think, think it's, it's a little too in the weeds i think you can go i wouldn't even listen to me talk about it i think you can go G50 two ways transmission you can go you can go very broad or you can go very deep or I, we can, I think where you get in trouble is where you don't do either of those two well what we should be is funny but we're not very funny well that's that's much harder um so we've got some other cool stuff that got revealed at monterey car week now this is actually pretty cool. It's the new Acura Precision EV concept. Isn't that cool? I saw a picture of it. I was. Do you know Acura's working with General Motors on their EV? I was no. Yeah, I knew that. Honda. Oh. Yeah. Uh, on the um, yeah. they're working. But they've been working together for a long time. That, that partnership goes back. And they're also working together on fuel cells. But isn't that cool? Because I think the new Acura SUV I was, I was reading is going to be based on the Lyric. Isn't that true? Could be the Cadillac yeah. Lyric. I think that's a, an interesting little little piece of a they're sharing tidbit. development cost. Yeah, yeah isn't that be. cool? Yeah, yes, and they're also like I said, they're also working on fuel cells. It's going to be on the Altium platform, I think. Yeah, I saw a very tiny picture of it on my phone, so I I, I have no, 
I have nothing clever to say because it was like the size of a postage stamp. Here you go. It was blue. This is on a report from Green Car Report. Actor EV to be made al in Tennessee alongside Lyric. There you go. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. So I, I think that's a really cool piece of news that Acura's working with General Motors. Yeah. Um, and then we also have some other cool stuff that came out of um, Monterey Car Week. The Lamborghini Urus has an update. Okay. F facelift, bigger engine. It's the most popular seller for Lamborghini. This one brings some uh, key updates on styling, and it should still pack a 4-liter twin-turbo V6. It hasn't been fully revealed. Um, I think as we're recording this, it will come this weekend. But it, it does have a updated um, front end. It's cool. So a facelift. Yep. And does it look better? I don't know. Oh. I haven't seen it. Okay. Um, and then uh, there's a new Hennessy Venom F5 Roadster. Okay. There you have it. Pretty cool little piece of trivia there. And now there's a new Aston Martin called the DBR22. It's a super exclusive roadster powered by a 5.2 liter V12, 705 horsepower, 555 pound feet of torque, 0 to 16, 3.4 seconds. All right. And, and speaking of Aston Martin, <laughs> this is a horrible segue. Uh, when another, you want to know another kind of car you should never buy? Yep. Uh, if the car was pretty terrible when it was new, it's pretty terrible when it's a classic. They, they don't be, they don't go from like, like you know, bad and no fun to drive to cool and sporty just because they're old. Now this, and the commenters will not be surprised and they're gonna get mad at me, is a topic I completely disagree with. I think that some of the best classic cars you can buy are cars that were hated when they were new. I think it's such a cool I'm piece saying, of history. I'm not saying hated, I'm just saying if the consensus was... Okay, I'll give you an example. Uh, give me an example. Ford Pintos. Oh, God. Not remembered as a great car. It'll never be a classic More Most remembered as being hit in the rear and then having fires right. is what they were most remembered for. Yeah. I would love to own a Pinto because they were everywhere in the 70s. And so the thing about classic cars is they transport, and you said this too, they transport us back to the time when they were new. And the Pinto is such a relic of the 70s. I would love to be able to own and experience what that car was like. Right, I'll give you an example of one that proves this case and that you loved. It proves your case, the Aztec. Aztec, same Horrible thing. Horrible car. People hated it when it was new. Still hated now. But it had a lot of cool redeeming features that people couldn't get to because they couldn't get past the styling. Like the cooler as the, as the was, center console. It still drove badly. It, did, it drove like a minivan. It yeah. drove fine. It had uh, a v reliable uh, GM 3.4 liter V6. Um, it was just a cool thing, though. It had this amazing greenhouse. It had the air compressor in the rear. It had rear air suspension. It had the speaker system at the back and the split tailgate for camping. It was a lovely thing. Here's, here's another one. Any K car. Once again, would love to own one. They were everywhere <laughs> in the 80s. And I would love to experience what they were like. I mean, horrible. I, the issue. You, you like dark red velour? <laughs> here's my issue with this argument. I think this is a terrible argument. Every old car compared to new cars is horrible. No, 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 no. When it, no, I'm not saying compared to new cars. You're missing. I know. Well, if it was horrible compared to the cars of its era back then, it's still horrible today. But even we're not comparing it to a new car. I, I'm saying even the best cars of their era are horrible compared to today. No, for the most part. no, I disagree. There's some there's some cars that that, and I'll give you an example of this. Okay, there are some cars uh, that changed or raised the bar, uh, and because of that. Uh, they were, uh, uh, and they are, incredible cars. Probably one of the best examples of that we own, and that is a Ducheveau, right? McLaren has finally, in, what, in the last five years, done interconnected front and rear suspension. The French did that back, you know, during the Second World War. That's true. Right? Th that car today is, is, is probably one of the best riding cars, right? I mean, the suspension is incredible. The, 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 the cleverness and the weirdness and the funkiness of that car are still as interesting and as 
thoughtfully designed today as they were when it was, you know. And it's still horribly slow, even though we have the 80s one. But that doesn't matter because that's not about that. So here, that car perfectly makes my point. It was that, a great that car thing was, was a magnificent piece of t technology when it became on 48. It was groundbreaking. It would change the world. It was a fantastic car when it was new. And I love driving it today because it's just so weird and quirky. But it's an objectively horrible car. No, it, it isn't. It's, it, won't it's a, do, it won't do 50 miles an hour up any sort of it hill. It doesn't matter. That it rolls over every time you turn. The brakes aren't very good compared it's, to a new car. If you get hit by a bug, you're going to need to go to the hospital. My point is that compared to any new car, it's pretty terrible. It's so fun to drive. It was hugely innovative, and it's an incredible piece of history, and I love it to bits. But objectively, compared to anything new, it's horrible. So what I'm saying is, even if it was excellent when it was new, it's going to be pretty crap today. So who cares if it was a little worse than excellent when it was new? Because it's also going to be pretty crap today. No, it was excellent when it was new, and it's just as excellent. No, it's, it's, it's just as ex all the virtues that made it excellent back in the day also make it excellent today. Yeah, but today. You're, you're not the one driving it down the highway at 45 flat I've out. I've driven it down the with highway a semi 40, nine feet from your bumper. At 45. Uh, you know, there are other innovative cars like that that we could talk about that, that were incredible. All right, give me another one. Another innovative car. Favorite car of all time, Volkswagen Beetle. Lovely car when it was new. Hugely innovative. Dirt reliable compared to everything on the road. It was spacious for the time. It was fuel efficient for the time. One in every seven cars back in the 70s here in Colorado was a Volkswagen Beetle. Fun fact. Horrible car today. Compared to anything on the road, it's too it's slow. Not, it's still, people the brakes still, are bad. The steering is bad. People still collect them. People still well, look sure, after them but because they, they're cool. They are cool, and that's why they do it, and they want to be transported back to the time. I'll give you one. But compared to any new car today, Volkswagen Beetle I, I, sucks. Another one that we own, which was you know the uh, 87. Is it 87? Uh, yeah, 87. Um, I'm using this in air quotes, M5. It's really a 535, right, right, that we have. Every time I drive that, I, I'm amazed at how... BMW back in the day was able to combine uh, a GT ride, probably better than a GT ride, with like performance car handling, right? It was it was just an incredible combination of two things. Today you get an M5 and it'll knock your teeth out. I'm sure it'll set incredibly ballistic Nurburgring times, right? But my God, if you wanted to drive that across country, you would be pretty miserable. Whereas that car was not only you know groundbreaking because it was cool and comfortable but it was also fast was it, that that is a good car and it still drives really well but compared to anything today it's a terrible car it's slow We're not why do you keep because my me, point is me why do you keep comparing it i'm be, not saying that you, you seem but to my be point is stuck on this one thing yes my point is because even the best cars back in their day if you look at them today are going to be pretty bad but, but, objectively but you, but, so a bad car in the back in its day is also going to be bad today no, objectively well, no, like no. i would love to own a dodge omni I think it would be in a fantastic thing to see what the typical Dodge Omni owner experienced back in well, the day. You're going to the auctions. I'm sure there's 15 of them there but every day. But that's the thing. They're not. Go buy one. You don't see them. Because they rusted away. Exactly. But that's why I think they're cool because they are the everyday car that people hated. I would love to experience what that was like. I, I, I think either you're, oh, you, you're, you know be, the, you're being obstinate because you want to make your point. No, or, I'm not. Or you genuinely do not understand the point that, that I'm making. I I'm, can, not say, I'm saying a great car then is a great car today because the essence of a classic car is it's a time capsule so it takes you back in time so who cares if it's an m5 or an omni you're going to have just as much fun in a dodge omni as you are in an m5 you're just going to spend a lot less money because it's going to take you back to that period and no i'm not going to have fun i i tommy i'll get you know I, I i was a tv reporter in rockford illinois right and i spent two years driving a, uh, a k car aries k station wagon right 
And I can promise you now that I hated every second I spent in that car. And if you were to drive up here with a pristine one, I would hate every second in that car today. And part of that is because you were alive in that era. But I wasn't. And I would love to experience what someone driving a K car got to experience so, in so the 80s. Are, are, are you saying that you don't trust my... No, what, I want to be there suffering with you in the 80s, going no, up a hill it, in an Aries K. I it think wasn't, that'd be fantastic. No, no, it wasn't that. It wasn't like underpowered. It was just cheaply produced and everything about it felt you know like it was designed by a committee like they cut like the accountants cut every single corner like like the fake wood would start to peel off it was it was like it was like the cheapest of 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 cheap the the the, the laziest of, of of design and i know that car saved chrysler at the time but it did it because the bean counters just took the living daylights out of it front wheel drive you know the, the the wheel shook like a scared poodle about 55 miles an hour uh we had i think five of them at the station and at any given time maybe there were two that weren't in the shop <laughs> right right these are objectively terrible cars and that has not changed i know but i want to i want to experience that i think that sounds fun because i'll have more fun honestly that's true i'll have more fun shaking at 55 miles an hour in an aries k than i would driving smoothly in an m5 at 80. And then i just think it's god true. help you if you try to make a turn at that speed yeah but it's you will go straight. It's like a 2CV. You don't drive a 2CV because it's fast or handles well. You drive a 2CV because it transports you back to the 40s in France. I want to be transported back to Rockford in the 80s in an Aries K wagon. I think that'd be so fun. Same thing with like Mustang 2s. Horrible car. I came this close to buying one though with the four you're, cylinder. You're, you're funny because you know you gave me so much, so much. Uh, guff right for wanting to buy the worst of all mustangs that 90s mustang right no that but that here's you, the you thing you said you hate it you said that you said objectively there's a fox body and then the one that we bought is what what's what's the designation sn95 sn95 right and then then we get into the more modern ones and so the sn95 potentially is one of the ugliest ones it's got all kinds of fake louvers everywhere right it's got uh basically a, a, a v8 the gt 4.62 that was shared with the f-150 I think the transmission was also shared with the F-150, right? right? No. right? And you said, this is a horrible Mustang, don't buy it. And then when you got into it and drive it, you were like, this is pretty cool. Well, here's the thing, though. I love extremes. So I love the best of the era, and I love the worst of the era. I'm not in a 90s car. Do you know why I'm not in 90s cars? Because in my mind, they're just not old enough. They're just like used cars. I, they just don't get me exciting. Classic cars get me really excited. New cars get me excited as well. I want the extremes. I want the best of the best, or I want the worst of the worst. So hop me in a new 2022 GT350R. Hop me in a, in a 65 Shelby. Like, that's really cool. Or I think I could have a ton of fun in like a 76 Mustang 2 MPG with a four-cylinder. Like, I, you got to do the extremes. So cars, I really want to do project series on. Dodge Omni would love to. I think it'd be a really cool series. Um, Pinto. I think it'd be really good to do a Pinto. Love to do another Aztec. Can't find Aztecs anymore. You can't find any of these cars anymore. Maybe even an Escort or a Cavalier would be cool to do a series uh, on. I bet you if you didn't trade on Auto Trader, you I could find all Aztecs. those cars. There are six in the entire country you for sale. Look, you could look at all. Anyway, uh, I think we've beat, once again, this horse to the ground. Uh, so let's talk about the new car that we're driving, which is actually surprisingly good, and you've been driving it, uh, and that's the Mitsubishi Outlander. Uh, it's basically a sister car to uh, the Nissan Rogue. Uh, and we went and test drove it in Florida like oh, two years ago, maybe, or a year ago, yeah, maybe a year ago. Exactly. Uh, uh, and it's, I think it's the smallest car you can get with a three-row. It's got kind of funky 
um, Tokyo by Night styling, so it's kind of funky from the front. Uh, but I've actually been driving it a lot, and I've, I've actually liked the car. I think the interior has this beautiful like diamond stitch pattern on it uh, that is really nicely done. It's got the old 2.5 liter four-cylinder. Uh, the Rogue has a new 1.5 liter or 1.6, I forget. Is it a 2.4 in the Mitsubishi? It could be. It it's, be it's, it's, yeah, it's like it's it's in that neighborhood. Uh, they both have CVTs, unfortunately, and they both are hamstrung by them. But I like the car. It's pretty cool. I like it because I think it's pretty good value and pretty good space. Yeah, ours is $37,000. I call it the opposite of a Hellcat. So in a Hellcat, <laughs> you spend all the money on the engine and the powertrain, and everything else around it's pretty dreary. In this car, you spend money on the interior and the features and the diamond stitching and the the orange leather and the amazing sunroof and then the powertrain is pretty dreary but i just love it i think it's great value i think it looks weird it's not a great looking thing but if you want a three row for not a lot of money a lot of money with all sorts of great tech in it wireless charging heated seats heated steering wheel giant sunroof big screen the, the fantastic seats it's a great car for 37k yeah i i actually think that mitsubishi has got something there uh, and it's, a lot of you are going to be like, oh, it's going to go straight to rental car uh, status, which a lot of Mitsubishis have done recently. But you know what? It's, uh, it deserves more than that. Uh, sometimes car companies, you know, pull a rabbit out of their hat. I think this is one of those cars. If you're looking for, you know, a seven-row, granted, the last row, you know, is for little kids, right? It's tiny. And when you do have the last row up, there's not a lot of legroom in the, set, in the middle row. But nevertheless, it's a really cool car. Uh, so um, in the last few minutes that we have left, Tommy, uh, let's talk about uh, some of the cool classics uh, series that you're doing. Tell me about what you've been working on this week. Yeah, so we've got a cool series on TFL Classics where we went to the junkyard and actually found some really cool gems in the junkyard. And we kind of talk about some hidden history and forgotten features of cool cars that are headed to the Crusher. Um, saw three Omnis in there, by the way, speaking of the Omnis. Um, we're also doing a series called um, Buy It or Bust. So we go to the auction and we do a topic where we take a look at three cars at a dealer's only auction and we talk about why they're cool, why you should care about them, and then we predict what they're going to sell for and then we watch them sell at the auction block, which is really fun. So we did two. We did three cars with fatal flaws. So hidden or design errors that cause them to be potentially terrible cars to own. And then uh, we did one on future modern collectibles that are affordable. So two cool videos. Those are going to be coming up at TLO Classic shortly. And we got another one where our guy Brendan is going to go buy this really cool early 80s Dodge truck. And we're going to do a flip series on that. I've got my Jeep Cherokee series. So we've got a ton going on at TLO Classics. It's really been uh, revitalized. And I'm hoping we can add a Dodge Omni or Ford Pinto to that list soon. You have uh, money in your bank account? Feel I, free. I've Feel been looking. free, dude. I can't find them. They all disappeared. If you are listening right now and have a Dodge Omni you want to sell me, not a GLH. I don't want a good Omni. I want a three-speed automatic Omni um, or a Pinto. I think it would be a lot of fun. Um, I want to welcome Brendan to the team. Yeah. Uh, you'll be seeing much more of him on Classics. Uh, uh, he's... Um, He's kind of helping out uh, on your channel, uh, and I'm super excited to have him uh, here at TFL. He's, we've been working with him kind of off and on now for a few months, and it's, it's good to kind of have him come on part-time, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, so if you're watching TFL Classics and you see him, I just want to say welcome aboard, Brendan. Yep, for uh, sure. Uh, and then uh, there's a lot going on at TFL right now. Uh, I'm going to drive the new uh, Lexus RX uh, this coming week. So when you're listening to this, I'll be actually behind the wheel of that. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Uh, and then um, also, me and you are going to go drive something very exciting in about a week and a half. What's that? I forgot. Corolla GR. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the new hot hatch Corolla. That's going to be super fun. Yeah, the, the three-cylinder, 300 horsepower, 
hot hatch uh, by Toyota, and I can't wait. I've been. I think that's one of the cars that I'm the most excited about. Uh, right now for sure yeah so be sure to stay tuned because we got a lot going on it's coming fast and heavy here uh, and then of course Andre is working on a really cool video series we took our this is also classic we took our F100 and we partnered uh, with oh gosh what's the name of the company now? yeah so two companies Legacy EV you, yeah. and then 101 Motors to convert it to a fully electric truck using so, Tesla batteries and then that truck's uh, actually going to be donated to go sell it for a charity at Bear Jackson which is really cool but we got the full build series on how they converted a old farm truck into this Tesla powered monster so you drove it for the first time today tell me about it well first of all I'm the reason I've been kind of distracted is I'm reading a lot of comments it's kind of blowing up on TikTok and Instagram people are infuriated and I don't understand why. People are really oh. not interested or really not excited about EV conversions. But I think it's cool. It gives cars a so new life. So what are people life. saying? Um, people are saying it has no soul. People are saying gas rebuilds are pretty pretty cheap. Cheap. Um, some people are excited. Um, you know, some people think it's really cool, and I think it is. Like this truck was pretty undrivable. The original powertrain. It was just from the 1960s. The 300 straight six great engine, but this thing was shot, needed a rebuild. So why not bring it into the future with something that's not a Coyote swap or an LS swap? Well, well, this is this is also the thing. I, I was worried about this, Tommy. So when we decided to. Uh, basically do an EV swap on an old classic American pickup truck. Uh, I was really worried that a lot of the uh, purists would be out there saying, you know, this would be easy to like LS swap or, uh, you know, do something. But let's face it, with that old uh, straight six, it was pretty undrivable. Yeah. I mean, like, it would not keep up with modern traffic. But, so what's your argument against the LS or the 5.0 swap? Because everybody's done that. That's a good argument. And yeah. I want to do something new. Look, you know, we need to do something that hopefully moves the needle and you know doesn't retread old ground that other people have done. And it's just it would just be another SEMA build that somebody has already done. So why not do something that is unique and different? And uh, yeah, it, it's controversial, but everything new is going to be controversial. And everyone's saying that you're not putting an American motor in it. We are actually because Tesla is an American company, and everybody people, forgets that. Isn't it funny that. how people forget that Tesla is an American car company? I think that's pretty funny. Yep. So we got a ton going on over at TL Truck. That's going to be a fully produced series. We're going to take you all along the journey and how that thing was EV converted because it's a really cool story. And finally, uh, if you guys want to do a meet and greet on the uh, 26th and 27th of August, maybe 27th and 28th, Friday and Saturday, uh, we're going to be uh, at the Overland Expo uh, here in Loveland, Colorado, between 2 and 3 on both of those days. So I'm going to be there, Andre's going to be there, Nathan's going to be there, even David's going to be there with the Lightning that we drove up to uh, Dead Horse uh, in the uh, booth of, uh, uh, what booth are we in? I don't know. I think it's Legacy EV's booth. Are you no, four-wheel no. campers? Four-wheel camper, yeah, that's right. Or Fox? Right. Are you no, in Fox booth no, too, aren't no, you? No, four-wheel camper. Okay. So we're in the four-wheel camper booth. Thank you, four-wheel camper, for uh, helping us sponsor that series. And we're going to want to meet our fans, and I'll be happy to answer all the questions. Uh, why it took so long to charge, why we decided to drive an electric truck when there's no infrastructure, uh, and how it all went. So we'd love to see you. We've got some stickers we'll be handing out, uh, two to three, on that Friday and Saturday, Tommy. Very cool. So be sure to be sure to come by and then and, and give us a handshake. So a Pinto, huh? Pinto and you really You really want to, you know, my dad did that to me. We had we had one of the first Honda uh, CBCCs when I was a kid. Yeah, which up. is a good car. All right, and I liked that car, and it be, eventually became my car. Uh, and I kind of fell in love with Honda because that was my first car ever. Um, and it was, you know, mechanically simple, easy to work on. I used to poke holes in the muffler to make it sound better. Uh, but uh, my dad took it for servicing, 
And as a joke, as a joke, they gave him a loaner. Guess what the loaner was? What? It was a Pinto. That's funny. Yeah, it was a Pinto. And so I show up at home. This is like I'm 16, so I'm just driving for the first time. You know, I'm so excited to go and take this Honda somewhere because I put these big KCs on it. And I see this Pinto. And I come home, and your grandfather says, oh, yeah, I didn't like the Honda. I traded it on a Pinto. Ah. I can't tell you how disappointed I was. And he, of course, pranked me, right? It was yeah. just an older car. But I looked at this sad-looking, you know, budget uh, because what happened at that time in America was we were going through the fuel crisis, and so American cars, of course, have been these incredible muscle cars, right? Uh, and then the fuel crisis hit, and uh, American car manufacturers had no cars to answer because everybody wanted fuel-efficient cars, and that opened the door to the Japanese. And so Ford came out with the Pinto, you know, playing on, of course, the Mustang brand, uh, and Chevy came out with an even worse car, the Chevelle. Oh, wait. That's no, the Chevette. Car. Sorry, the Chevette. That's the car I really wanted, the Chevette. The not Chevette. an Omni. Yeah, but I can't find Chevettes anywhere. So they came out with the Chevette. Uh, Ford came out with the Pinto. And, of course, the Pinto got infamous because if you hit it the wrong way from behind, the gas tank could explode. Yep. And there's a famous video on YouTube. Uh, but it, if you take the fact that it exploded, it was still a pathetically like miserable first attempt at an economy car. This has been a car manufacturer that had never built economy cars, never cared about economy, never cared. And all of a sudden, they were forced to do something that they had never even considered doing, which is build a small, fuel-efficient car. Uh, and they just they just muffed it out of the gate. I mean, and the Chevette was worse, actually. Still want one. All right, let us know what you think in the comments below. As always, it has been Tommy. All right, Tommy. I, maybe we'll have to buy a Chevette just so you could see. I've been looking. You don't think I'm not looking for Chevettes? They well, all rusted away. Like, like you know, there's only one car that was worse. Maybe the Yugo. Okay, guys, let us know. I'd love to do one of those, too. Let us know what you think in the comments below. As always, it has been Tommy and Roman. We'll see you on the next podcast. All TFL.com. See you next time. Ciao. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries. And with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.